0: Is Baseball Tonight the podcast? This is the Baseball Tonight Podcast for Tuesday, April 18th, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in Montana. Sarah Abbott is working from her home near Bristol, Connecticut, and Taylor Schwink is working from the Swink Studios. How are you guys doing today?
1: Doing well, Buster. I missed you yesterday. You had a, a tricky time in the airport trying to find a place to do the podcast, and ultimately we had to call it.
0: Well, and we also missed Sarah Abbott, who was still recovering from her Taylor Swift weekend. We're going to hear more about it in the podcast. But guys, you know we had great plans today. We had so much set up, Taylor, where we, we had talked to the uh, the Rays about getting one of their superstars on the show. We had talked to the Blue Jays about getting one of their superstars on the show. We were all set up, and then last night it all kind of crumbled.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, uh, Wander Franco was set to appear on the podcast, and he still will. It is still in the works, uh, yes. but he had some sort of injury. He's undergoing treatment this morning and, uh, yeah, unable to talk to us. So hopefully later in the week, if not uh, you know, early next week. And then, Buster, you had... Someone set up bad outing last night. So we we don't know if he's going to co- join us or not.
0: Yeah, Kevin Gossman, great guy. Uh, he was lined up to come to the podcast today. And then I'm, I'm seeing the scroll last night and the Astros scored seven runs in the bottom of the first inning against him. And I'm like, oh, boy, <laughs> I, I kind of wonder if this is going to happen. So as we start the podcast today, we're not totally sure that uh, that we're not going to get him. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. And if uh, suddenly we get the text message saying, hey, Kevin's ready to go because he is a great pro. Right, late last night, the Mets and the Dodgers in Dodger Stadium, a really good game of back and forth. Uh, Daniel Vogelbach gave the Mets a 2-1 lead early.
1: 1-1 to Vogelbach, and Daniel drives one out to left center field. Back in the gap goes Taylor looking up, and it's out of here! Daniel Vogelbach with his first
0: home run of the year. An opposite field two-run shot, and the Mets go in front to the 1. The Dodgers grab the lead back in the bottom of the second. Serves it in the right center field, and Austin wins in his first at-bat as a Dodger. Has knocked in at least one. He's knocked in two with a double to put the Dodgers in front. Welcome to Los Angeles. Austin wins. The Mets' best prospect, playing in his first game since he was called up in the minor leagues, pitched in. Seventh pitch of the at-bat coming to Beatty. And he lines one into right field, a base hit. McNeil comes in to score. Brett Beatty with an RBI single behind in the count. He drives in a run to make it five to three New York. The Dodgers led by a run in the top of the seventh inning. And then this happened.
2: And he gets the first slider in on a clock violation. Oh, a balk is called. A balk was called against Bickford, and that's going to bring in the tying run. Was he rushing to beat the pitch clock? Is that why he balked? I
0: wasn't sure. No, it was with about three seconds left. Yeah, but a balk ties the game. The Mets went on to score two more runs, and they win eight to six. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, where you earn rewards with every purchase. Vivid Seats Rewards is your ticket to more tickets. Vivid Seats, life happens live. And last night, the Rangers and Royals were live. And Texas continues to look good. They jumped on the board in the top of the first inning. First offering to Young. This one
3: is cranked high and deep into left field. Going back is Eaton. He looks up and it's out of here. That's over the bullpen. Josh Young with a majestic home run to straightaway left. It's his third blast of the year, and the Rangers lead it
0: 3-0. The former first round pick continues to look good. That sound from 105.3, the fan. Jacob deGrom was rolling.
3: The one, two, and that pitch at the top of the zone for a call third strike. A bit of a delayed strike call there from Bruce Dreckman, but the fastball gets Perez, and Jacob deGrom earns his fifth strikeout of the evening. So he threw
0: four no-hit innings. He was throwing about 100 miles per hour with some of his fastballs and he had to come out of the game with wrist soreness. Here was DeGrom after the game talking about that issue. You know, I felt it a little bit warming up and um, thought it was going to loosen up, and it actually tightened up
1: a little bit as the game went on. So um, playing it smart, um, could I have kept going? Probably, but, um, you know, it was it was lingering, and it, it got a little bit worse as the game was going on, and I was like, hey, you know, I just want to play this safe. We got a long season ahead of
0: us. Rangers won that game four to nothing. The uh, Texas Rangers will find out more about Degrom's injury later today when he's examined. Another star pitcher had to leave his start last night with an apparent injury. Corbin Burns was rolling along, 85 pitches, and then he summoned the trainer out. Uh, the after the game, the Brewers described this as a minor heck issue, but uh, he also will continue to be evaluated. A few days ago, we learned that the Rays' Jeffrey Springs will be out at least two months. This, potentially a devastating injury. Springs, of course, didn't allow any runs in his first two starts this year. He's someone who's emerged as one of the best left-handers in all of baseball. The ones who get it done is brought to you by Granger With supplies and solutions for every industry, Granger has the right product for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. You know how it got it done last night? Austin Riley of the Atlanta Braves in the top of the first inning. Riley down the left field line well struck and gone! The Braves have done it again scoring in
1: the first inning and jumping out in front. It's two to nothing.
0: That sound from the Braves television network and this was in support of Max Freed, who returned to the rotation after having a hamstring issue in spring training, he threw five scoreless innings. The Braves beat the Padres two to nothing. The Marlins faced the Giants, an interesting situation. Uh, Jorge Soler was at the plate. There was a balk initially called and then they reversed that call and then they continued with another pitch and here's what happened. Well, the count's nothing in one. Segura still at third, and here's the pitch. He swings, high drive, deep
1: center field, way back. It's four to three, Miami. Off the bench, in a pinch, a two-run home run for Jorge
0: Soler. And that was the game-winning hit. The Marlins beat the Giants four to three. That sound from nine forty W I N Z. The Angels played the Red Sox in the Patriots day game. A lot of rain uh, impacted this game. Shohei Ohtani came out after two innings. They had a long delay. He didn't come back out to the mound. By that time, the Angels had a lead because of what Hunter Renfro did in the top of the first inning.
4: Bayo is ready and pitch number 13 for him this is lifted high in the air and this is out by the green monster and this ball is out of here. That is a three run homer by Renfro his fourth home run of the season. Angels get some more first inning runs in this series and have a three nothing
0: lead. That was Terry Smith on Angels radio 830 a.m. The Angels work through a ninth inning Boston rally to hang on to that victory. I mentioned the Astros jumping all over Kevin Gossman in the first inning. Part of that rally fueled by Jake Myers. The 2-1. And that's lined to right. deep, going back. Springer still going back, looking up. See you later. Three-run home run for
1: Jake Myers. And the Astros lead 7-0 in the first inning.
0: That was Robert Ford on KBME 790 AM. the final score there was nine to two. Some other notes a couple days ago, the Yankees placed Giancarlo Stanton on the injured list. Uh, He's got a grade two hamstring strain, so he's going to be out a while, maybe at least a month. Logan Webb and the Giants reached a $90 million extension that runs through 2028 and Pablo Lopez of the twins is finalizing a four year, $73.5 million deal with Minnesota. Taylor, what else you
1: got? Buster, the NFL draft is right around the corner. And if you're hungry for draft coverage, check out First Draft with Mel Kiper Jr., Todd McShay, and Field the 8s They're keeping tabs on all the latest draft chatter every Wednesday. The NFL draft starts April 27th on ESPN, ABC, and ESPN Radio. You can listen to First Draft wherever you're enjoying this podcast right now, and you can also watch them on YouTube.
0: For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions, plus their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxydectin, and pyrantel chewable tablets. Nexgard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about Nexgard Plus chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show.
1: Welcome to the show, mate. Welcome to the show.
4: Whoa!
0: Welcome to the show,
3: baby! You're in the show with David Schoenfeld.
0: David Schoenfeld, coverage baseball for ESPN. Dave, how you doing this week? I'm good, Buster.
5: I'm not uh, having to blow any snow off my driveway like you apparently have to do with your life in rugged Montana. Yeah,
0: so last week, last Thursday, we got like two, three inches of snow, and yes, had to break out the snowblower. Dave? I'm looking at a forecast where they're saying we're going to have more snow this week. What's up with that?
5: Well, on the bright side, at least Montana does not have a major league team. Although I don't know, maybe the A's will move there down the road. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All I know is, if they ever thinking, uh, if they ever think about putting a an expansion team in Montana, I I would advise them. Get a roof. That's all I'm going to say, okay? (laughs) And I don't think that's on the front burner. I don't think they'll be in the next round of expansion. All right. Uh, In recent days, as we see, it feels like every year, you have a rash of injuries to key players uh, on a number of teams. Now, we learned last week about Jeffrey Springs. He has an elbow issue, uh, which could, could keep him out, from what I understand, for at least two months. It might be longer than that. Jacob Degrom, who made only 38 starts from 2020-2022 seasons, he comes out of last night's game with a wrist injury. He, Of course, had an issue in spring training, and Corbin Burns uh, came out after 85 pitches last night. Uh, the what was you know, seemed to be, you know, what they're saying is initially is, is that maybe it's a pec issue that he has. We'll find out the severity later today, but obviously those are three really great pitchers when they're healthy, three really important pitchers to their respective teams uh, of varying degrees of financial power, resource power, which in your eyes is the most important injury?
5: Well, for now, I'll go with Springs because that's the only one that we know is going to have a a longer term that he's going to be out. And, And look, we know he's not as big a name as Jacob DeGrom and Corbin Burns, but Buster, I think you'll agree. Through his first couple of starts, he looked like a Cy Young contender. Remember, he had a sub three ERA last year. So I think his early start this year was just verification that he was the real deal. Um, so missing him for two months or so is really going to hurt Tampa Bay. I know the Rays always come up with pitching out of nowhere, but You know, with Springs, McClanahan and Drew Rasmussen, they look like they had the best one, two, three in the majors. And now they're going to have to rely on their depth. DeGrom and Burns, we'll see if these are severe. Both teams for now are indicating they don't think they are, Um, but we'll we'll see. Obviously, over the long haul, it's kind of a, a flip of a coin between DeGrom and Burns. Both those teams need those guys for 25 to 30 starts.
0: So I'm sure that there were folks in, in the Mets organization who saw what happened to Grom last night and were nodding their heads saying, uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, we lived that experience. It was part of the reason why, I mean, let's face it, the Mets in the end essentially decided not to really try to re-sign Jacob to Grom. You know, he signed a five-year deal with the Rangers. The Mets offer was at three. They, there was never any counter. There was never anything back and forth. I don't think Degrom Grom necessarily wanted to go back there either Uh, But last night, he exits after 58 pitches after throwing four no-hit innings. He told reporters after the game he probably could have kept going and isn't too concerned about that right wrist soreness. I know there was a perception in some corners of the Mets organization that DeGrom, you know, needed to, in order to pitch, he really needed to feel uh, as close to 100% as, as possible. And I've been wondering, you know, if in fact that's true, Uh, Now that DeGrom has this five-year contract, which presumably is going to be the last big contract of his career, if some of that dynamic might change, you know, (laughs) if you might see him say, you know what, I'm just going to empty the tank as I go forward.
5: Yeah, that's a really good point, Buster. But we've heard this story twice now. When he got hurt in spring training, the stories were, well, if it was a regular season, he'd be okay." But, you know, they obviously pushed him back and played that one safe. Last night, well, you know, he could have kept going, but we'll take him out. And I get it, you you want to be cautious with this guy. You don't want him to go down for two or three months. But the Mets certainly had a feeling on this guy, and I think you're right. He wants to feel as hundred percent as possible when he's out there, and he's gonna eventually have to make that decision, you know, start to start, month to month, season to season. Can he pitch when he's not feeling right? And some pitchers are able to suck it up and do that and others aren't. And, you know, he's going to face those decisions now the rest of his career.
0: Yeah. So I know that, uh, you know, there've been times in his last couple of years, the Mets, where they had conversations with him about, hey, how about dialing it back? And because right. your your stuff is so great. How about trying to figure out to get hitters out throwing 93 to 96 miles per hour And I remember having a a conversation with Kevin Ploiecki, who played with the Grom for years, uh, and and Kevin just laughed like, yeah, that's not going to happen. He's such a perfectionist and he's so competitive that you can't pull that person back. Right. That's like telling Michael Jordan, hey, ease up a little bit. You know, don't be so hard on opponents. Don't be so hard on your teammates. It's just not in his nature to necessarily do that.
5: No, Buster, that's actually an issue over the sport because who doesn't max out every time, you know? I I think of a couple examples, just Verlander, you know, back, you know, a decade ago and he could throw 100. He'd wait. He would, you know, settle in early in the game, 94, 95, 96, and then late in the game, if he needed it, he could dial it up. So that was a guy – who would keep a little something in reserve. And I know I've heard John Smoltz talk about when he was pitching back in the day, he never felt like he was maxing out. No, we didn't have the radar guns, you know, that obsession like we do now. Uh, But obviously he ended up having a long hall of fame career. Um, I think some of these guys might be wise dialing it back a little bit, if it keeps them healthier and maybe lets them pitch deeper into games once in a while.
0: Yeah, Joe West, uh, the longtime umpire, put out a tweet last week where he essentially blamed some of the early season pitching injuries on the pitch clock. Uh, and I love Joe, but when I saw that, I'm like, come on, show me the data. That it. <laughs> And it's right. not as if we hadn't had pitching injuries before this year. Uh, I, I think of the spike in pitching injuries in part is in the last uh, you know five, 10 years, you've seen so many pitchers basically try to max out on velocity. Yep. You know, I, 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 I it to me, it's like redlining a dragster, you know, where you're going at max effort. You're going to have issues, especially because you know, so many of these guys, maybe it'll change with a, with future generations. They're not at age, you know, 10, 12 years old in high school, in college, necessarily building a physiology where they're going to su- sustain trying to throw as hard as you possibly can on every pitch.
5: No, look, Buster, I was looking this up. I think this is only through Sunday, so not, we don't have last night's data. But through Sunday, there had been only 39 starts of at least seven innings. That was, that's less, wow. way below 10% of all games. So they're not getting injured because they're throwing too many pitches. They're getting injured because they throw hard.
0: Yeah, I had a conversation uh, over the weekend with a player and, and just mentioned to him that uh, in 2010, there were 45 pitchers who threw 200 or more innings, and last year there were 10. Yeah. So that's that's absolutely changing dramatically. All right. Two teams that came into this year with high aspirations for the postseason, maybe for advancing deep into the postseason, the Seattle Mariners and the Los Angeles Dodgers, who both started slowly. Both yep. of those teams, eight and nine. Tell me which team for you is a greater concern.
5: Um, well, you know, I watch a lot of Mariners games. Yes, I know. <laughs> a little worried about them. Two issues. They do not have an RBI from their designated hitters on the season. You know, so their plan in the offseason was Tommy Lastella and whoever they want to give a day off from the field. That's not a DH plan, Buster. I don't know why – So many teams continue to punt designated hitter, and this is this was an issue with Seattle last year, an issue in 2021. They haven't had a DH since Nelson Cruz left yet, once again, they punt DH unacceptable. Um, their other problem, their bullpen, which has been so good the last two years, suddenly looks very thin. They've already used 19 pitchers, Andres Munoz is injured. Um, Paul Sewell has been the only reliable reliever. Matt Brash has been wild. Robbie Ray got hurt, so they had to move Chris Flexen into the rotation. So their bullpen depth is a problem. So those are the two issues there. They need Julio to get going. He's kind of been struggling a little bit, but they need DH. They need bullpen help. Dodgers, I haven't seen them as much. I watched last night's game. Dustin May, who'd been really good. Um, The Mets really hit him last night. He's a weird guy, Duster. He throws upper 90s. He gets no swings and misses. You know, he's in like the 12th percentile in strikeout rate. Struck out one batter last night. They really kind of need him to be like a number one or number two starter, but I'm not sure he's quite at that level. And same thing with them. Middle of their bullpen struggled last night, you know. Um, So are those fourth, fifth, sixth relievers – able to do the job and if your starter is only going five innings you need a lot of bullpen depth and I'm not sure the Dodgers have that
0: it's interesting because I'm less concerned about the Mariners than I am the Dodgers because I feel like that in the American League West that you're not necessarily going to see a runaway team because there's such balance there I think the Rangers clearly are better (laughs) we saw that over the weekend uh, with them taking two or three games from the Astros uh, you've got the Mariners, you've got the Angels who, you know, on a given day, they run out the two best players in the world, so they'll be okay. Uh, and so I think that'll help keep the Mariners close. With the Dodgers, I'm, you know, I wonder at some point if the San Diego Padres are going to take off. And yeah. I don't know if the Dodgers are necessarily capable, as they're constructed, of being like they were last year, where they go on this crazy run and wind up with 100 wins. They feel like a good team. That will be, you know, uh, it will probably make the playoffs, but i they're not nearly as dynamic as they've been in recent years. Yes.
5: No, they're not. And, you know, they're relying on some young guys like Miguel Vargas and James Outman, who, you know, they might be good players, but certainly don't project as superstar type players, um, certainly not as rookies. And, yeah, we're used to them having six, seven, eight, nine quality starting pitching options. You know, they've had so much depth in that rotation in recent years, and they don't have that. So if they get an injury or two in the rotation, that's a real big red, red flag for them.
0: We got this tweet from Kayaking Smith, who uh, it, it, at the beginning of it, he writes, the hashtag small sample size current playoff standings, if it ended today, have Arizona – pittsburgh and baltimore in the playoffs of those three who has the best chance to sustain their early success
5: well you might remember at one point in the podcast i picked the diamondbacks as my surprise team yes and then i backed off and i went for the cubs (laughs) so i'm gonna go back to my original oh no Go with the Man. Diamondbacks. How's that sound? You know, they're, they're a dynamic team. Um, the pitching has been really, really good so far. Um, so I'll, I'll go back to Arizona.
0: Wow. Okay. So you're <laughs> flip-flopping again. I will tell you this, and I'm not picking the Pirates to make the playoffs. They are an interesting team, right? I think if O'Neill Cruz hadn't gotten hurt yeah. the way that he did, he, then the Pirates might be the answer to this question you know, you do wonder at some point, is that manifest, but man, they're fun to watch.
5: Yeah. And and you mentioned division. I know there's not as many, you know, games within the division this year, but with St. Louis kind of scuffling as well, you could have put them up there with uh, the Dodgers and the Mariners. Um, Maybe that division, you know, is more, you know, up for grabs than we think. Yeah. So it's fun to see a team like Pittsburgh playing well so far.
0: All right, so we're only a couple of days away now from the return of Fernando Tatis Jr. back to the Padres lineup. I wrote a piece about the choices that their manager, Bob Melvin, has in making this decision. And I talked with uh, talked with Juan Soto, talked with Xander Bogarts, talked with Manny Machado, talked with Bob about some of the preferences that they were weighing. And there was some interesting stuff that I learned during the process. We're going to have a piece on the lineup and you'll hear some of these voices in tomorrow's podcast. But a few things that were interesting to me, Dave, as you as uh, as Bob Melts makes these choices. Number one, Xander Bogarts, and he he's very aware of this uh, through his career. Very consistent, you know, right-handers versus left-handers, guys who throw hard, very consistent. But there's one spot which has (laughs) always troubled him, and that is the number two spot in the lineup. And he said, "I kind of don't get it. I don't understand why it is." But his results in the number two spot have just simply not been the same as the other parts in the lineup. And he's told Bob Melvin that. So I don't think that they're going to bat him second for that reason. Juan Soto, you know, I asked him and he was very clear look, whatever way they go is fine. But he talked about going to Dave Martinez last year in Washington and saying, look, I want to hit third. He clearly has a preference to hit third over the second spot. So that was interesting as you consider Bob's choices because. It makes sense, and I got this from rival evaluators, that you hit Soto in the two spot because if you do that, you really complicate the decisions of the opposing manager because you know you're going to have two great right-handed hitters behind Soto if he bats second, Machado and Bogarts in some order, hitting third and fourth, as opposed to if you bat Soto third, then you make the opposing manager's decisions easier because they'll have Drake, Jake Cronenworth and a left-handed hitter hitting in the five spot. So the opposing manager can say, you know what? I'm bringing in my nasty lefty to face Soto at three, then a right-handed hitter in the four spot, then the left-handed hitting uh, Cronenworth. And so people with other teams are saying, look, you need to hit Soto too, but Soto's making it clear he doesn't want to hit that. <laughs> and the other part that I really enjoyed learning uh, was that Ryan Christensen, who's the assistant manager of the Padres, Writes out the lineup cards with calligraphy. Uh, this is something that he was inspired to do when he was a, a you know young kid, when his nana, as he mentioned to her, his mom's mom, gave him these pens. And he always kind of messed with it. Now he might be one of the only people in baseball, uh, Major League Baseball, who actually writes out a lineup card. They're all computer generated. Yeah. It was kind of a fun story to work on.
5: Yeah, definitely worth checking out. And I would agree with the uh, analysts who say Soto should bat second. It kind of sounds like Melvin probably will defer to Soto's preference to hit third. So I guess, that, does that mean Manny Machado is most likely to hit second? The reason, I, Buster, I want to ask you this too. To me, it makes sense Soto in the second spot because what do we know – he's going to be good at getting on base. He has the highest OBP of those four guys. What we don't know is what he is as a hitter, like struggled after the trade last year for his batting average and power struggling this year, getting that average over 200, a small sample size. We got to admit that, but is he an RBI guy or is he really just kind of an on base guy at this point? So to me, you would want him in front of Bogarts and Machado, but he's probably going to hit third, it sounds like.
0: So over the weekend, I had a really interesting conversation with Dusty Baker about Jordan Alvarez. And why was it that uh, Jordan came out of spring training, when in which he had just seven at-bats and was hitting right away? Which Dusty said is one of the damnedest things he has seen since he's been in baseball, and I asked Dusty, what is it about Alvarez that allows him to do, to do that? And he said, boy, you know what? He's got such a simple swing. It's an easy swing that translates. There's not a lot of maintenance to it. He said, now, if he was a pull hitter, then it becomes more complicated to maintain a swing. And, and the, you know, he would need spring training, which got me to thinking about Juan Soto and Bryce Harper. You know, we've seen not Bryce Harper of 2022, But Bryce Harper, say, 2017-18, he would go through these peaks and valleys, these slumps where it felt like he's pulling off the ball with his swing. I see the same thing in Juan Soto, and he's made references that. Does that all make sense?
5: It, It does. You know, and you're right. Soto, you wonder at some point if he'll change his stance. He's got that big, wide stance with the crouch, and that, you know, probably complicates things, you know certainly not an an upright hitter like most guys today. Um, Certainly his eye is, you know, the best in the game. He's not going to get himself out swinging at bad pitches, but, you know, he does have trouble getting the ball in the air. So even though he has raw power the last, you know, year or, you know, or so a lot of ground balls, a lot of four threes, a lot of infield pop-ups, um, He should be a better hitter than that because he's so selective. He's he's swinging at strikes. That's the number one thing he wanted a hitter to do. Um, Look, maybe it's just a little two weeks, you know, sample size thing here. But, um, yeah, he's going to have to make some adjustments.
0: So I think Bob Melvin in the end is going to wind up going Bogarts in the cleanup spot, Soto in the three-hole. I agree with you. I think he's going to defer to him mostly, and he has early this year. I think he's going to put Machado in the two-spot. The one thing that's absolutely clear after talking with Bob is he can't wait to put Fernando Tatis Jr. into the leadoff spot. And he talked about in spring training how it's like a hurricane coming at the opposing pitcher to have this guy leading off the power and the speed. And the other part I'm going to be really fascinated to watch with Tatis Jr. as he comes back is the patience that he showed in spring training drawing more walks yeah. uh, in a, during his rehabilitation assignment in the minor leagues in, in the last couple of weeks. Is that something that will continue, which would be kind of cool because this is someone who, you know, it's been what, 564 days since he played in a big league game, but you know what? He's a young player and maybe during that time he evolved in his thinking. No, that's a really
5: good point. We forget how young he was and that he was still or he still is evolving as a hitter, yeah, and if we you, you know if you wanted to have a little minor knock at him over his first few years, it was, yeah, he was a little aggressive, got himself out sometimes by expanding the zone, so yeah, if he cuts down on his chase rate, swings at strikes, man, it's scary to think what he can do, and I know it's triple A numbers, but boy, was he terrorizing? triple-A pitchers, and then you add that speed with the fact that stolen bases are up, and um, he might go 40-40 despite missing the first three weeks of the year.
0: Yeah, how nutty would that be? Uh, And 40 might be the big number for the Oakland Athletics, Uh, as in maybe 40 wins this season. Their ERA, what, for the last week has been something like 10. They are an absolute embarrassment, Dave. And you know, a couple weeks ago, Taylor gave a, a rant about the Athletics. I'm going to add on. I'm going to add some of the other <laughs> owners too. Uh, because look, we saw that last year they started the special committee to study baseball economics. And we know that was in part a reaction to the big spending of the Mets. A special committee to address the tanking when you get absolutely embarrassing teams like the Athletics, who you think might be one of the worst teams in the history of baseball.
5: Yeah, I forgot about Taylor's rant. So I'm following up on that. Buster. They've allowed 11 or more runs in seven of their 17 games. Friday night against the Mets, they walked 17 batters. They've drawn under 5,000 fans in four games already, which I don't blame A's fans for showing up to watch a minor league team. They gave up 20 hits last night to the Cubs. It's a disgrace. Yeah, the, the 62 Mets lost 120 games. That Tigers team, I think it was 2003. They lost 119. I think this team has a chance to make a run at the all-time record here.
0: I'm not going to pretend to know all the provisions that uh, Major League Baseball owners have in terms of what it re- is required to be an owner. Uh, but I do think that they need to, if there are, if there is something on the books, you know, double secret probation, where other owners can go to another owner and say, "Look, you need to to try." You can't field a team this bad. And if you don't want to do that, we'll go find somebody else to buy the team. We can force you out with a vote, you know, 75% or whatever it is, because it's awful. And, you know, I I thought that in the last decade, I thought it was awful when Houston did it at the beginning, even though it was part of Houston's strategy was to tank, you know, to get top draft picks and, and to make a lot of money early on. It was awful how yeah. bad they were, what the first team since the 62 to 65 Mets to lose at least the, I think the number was 106 games in each of three consecutive seasons. That was awful. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, other teams have been tanking in recent years. We've talked about the Orioles who had a chance. We felt like coming into the year to make the playoffs. They don't have a single player on their roster with a multi-year contract. That's an embarrassment. Yeah, look, there, there's an
5: easy way around this. I know we have the draft lottery now, but how about you lose more than 100? I don't know what do you want to set it at. You lose more than 105 games, you can't draft in the top 10. So, yes, like, if you know, we don't want to incentivize losing, and they cut back a little bit on that with the new rules, but not completely. And, look, we talked about this off air. Billy Bean would have his runs where he'd reload. But they were never this bad. I think under he Billy. Never Dean, he
0: Billy never tanked. Billy never tanked in the past.
5: I think he only had two picks in the top, t- after they got good initial in the early 2000s. I think after that only twice they drafted in the top 10. They never drafted in the top five. You know, a couple seasons where they weren't very good, but never lost 100 under him. You know, never tanked. This is just an owner who does not care. Taylor, we should just replay your rant because it's it's sad. I feel bad for the few fans left in Oakland.
0: Yeah, this feels like the movie Major League, does it not? Yeah. yep. You know, where they're going <laughs> to cut down. Next thing we're going to know, we're going to hear about the broken down plane that they give the players to travel around in.
5: <laughs> Buster, the other night, Kodai Senga was pitching for the Mets, and he's got his ghost forkball. So Mets fans that were in attendance in Oakland were hanging up uh, K cards with ghosts on them for every strikeout. So Oakland security, and I get it, it's the other team came down, made the fans take the signs down. But the surprising thing to me, the A's actually were paying for security. Who knew that?
0: (laughs) Yeah. And and that whole thing with the possum that the Mets broadcasters were talking (laughs) about, Gary Cohen and Ron (laughs) Darling, you and I both know Like, secretly, the Oakland owner's probably like, yeah, keep talking about it. You know, keep talking about this ballpark being an embarrassment. Well, you know what? That ballpark is less embarrassing right now than the product that the athletics have put on the field. And that's the owner's decision. So, all right, Dave, thanks for doing this. All right. Thanks, Buster. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. Call one 800 directv tv or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with vivid seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code baseball. That's code baseball. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. That's vividseats.com today, code baseball. Vivid Seats, experience it live. On Sunday, Carl Ravitch got a chance to catch up with the two oldest managers in baseball, Dusty Baker and Bruce Bochy, who rank among the top 11 winningest managers of all time. A fun conversation with these two guys.
4: Dusty, it's Bochy's
3: birthday. Did you know it was his birthday today? I was waiting on my card. Uh, oh! <laughs> I'll tell you what, he, he did better than the card. I got a nice bottle of wine. So
4: did you really? Thank
3: yeah. you, well, you knew.
4: Right yeah, man.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You did yeah, that. I felt it. <laughs> you felt it. How many? 68.
3: 68. 68. Man, you're a young I know, man. I'm a pup, yeah. yeah. Do we
4: still count birthdays? We yeah, we do.
2: Yeah. We do. I'm proud. I'm, I'll be 74 in June. It's a lot better than
4: not counting. I heard yeah. that, brother. <laughs> so, Bruce, don't, don't ever, yeah. don't ever uh, catch me. Yeah,
3: no, all right. right.
4: Let me ask you this, you guys have been doing this forever. How, how how would you define baseball? If I just said define baseball, how would you define the game of baseball?
2: I'd probably say the same game, but entirely different. You know, it's like it's, uh, you know, new rules, new, it, it's uh, it's uh, friendly now, because I remember one time I I was at a, Event and I told Steve Carlton, I wasn't even talking to him, but I was talking to Larry Christensen, I think, and I says, you know something, this is a friendly game. And then Carlton says, no, it's not. <laughs> so I was like, no, it ain't. How about you? How would you define it?
3: Well, along that line, you know, it's, uh, cause I, I was out three years and uh, you know, you come back and and they tell you how much it's changed and it has and uh, you know, to his point, yeah, you know, guys all know each other now all right. mm-hmm. and all that, but uh, it's still, it's the same game as far as the how I look at it, how I manage it. Uh, you get more information, no question about it. But uh, you still have, you know, have to trust your eyes in those things, I think. And, uh, and I don't think that ever goes away. One, one thing that never stops is you have to have uh, do the fundamentals. So uh, that's always going to be there. You guys are both sort of
4: number nine all-time winless as a manager, number 11. You're going to k- keep climbing. H- how did that happen?
2: Don't ask me. It's just uh, longevity, that's part of it. Uh, You know, having, uh, you know, great players. I mean, you can't win without great players. I mean, uh, you know, everybody thinks, oh yeah, he's, he's a great manager, this and that, but it boils down to the players. I mean, I can win a few games, hopefully. Uh, you know, direct uh, some players in the right direction. I mean, but you're not the orchestra. You know, I'm, I'm the leader of the orchestra, and you're only as uh, you know as good as your players. Number one, I never counted it. Uh, you know, I never saw. I'm here, 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 there. Just sort of. When I was in Cincinnati, I remember Rick uh, stole the, the clubhouse guy. He says, just you know, you you passed so and so today." I said, "I did," and then just like. Yesterday it was like this year 100 win. I, I, didn't, I didn't have any clue about that.
3: Yeah, no, it's it's part of being I think just lucky and blessed. Uh, I had a young general manager named Randy Smith took a chance on me. You know I was a role player and managed uh, the minor leagues. And uh, in fact, I knew him here uh, when Tal Smith was my general manager and. Uh, and so he, he gave me a shot and, uh, you know, you're just, you're grateful that, uh, you know, you're, it's one of 30 jobs and uh, I've been lucky that uh, I've been doing it this long. But to Dusty's point, you know, it's the players. It, it's, it's, it's what you have to be thankful for. And uh, I've been blessed with uh, a lot of good teams. You know, we had our rough years, but, you know, the good years uh, outweigh those, trust me. You won three World Series and you got your first. How
4: significant is a World Series to a manager, winning one?
3: Well, I, I mean, for me, uh, it, it was a dream come true. I mean, I, I had never been on a team that had won the World Series. i had been to the World Series. So, you know, when you manage as long as uh, we have, uh, I, I it, it, it probably weighs on you a little bit, to be honest, you know, you you want to get one, but you know how hard it is, how lucky uh, you, you have to be, too, because once you get the postseason, it, it can be a bit of a crapshoot, so uh, I was very fortunate with the staff I had in San Francisco, and uh, and we had a nice run there.
4: What does it mean? Well,
2: I mean, just means nobody's asking me anymore Anyone? when you're going to win it, <laughs> <laughs> to tell you the truth. Yeah. And, uh you know, relieves, uh, you know a certain amount of pressure because you don't want to go home at the end of your career. Because I was home, Bruce said he was out three years. I was out three times for two years. Right. And uh, you know, you don't know if you're going to get another shot at it or if this is the end or are you going to be classified with this manager or that manager that won a lot of games but never won a World Series. But uh, you know, when I look back, you know, one of the things that kept me going was was, was, uh, was Bobby Cox. You know, when you saw Bobby, I think they won, like, 15 division titles in a row, and then, uh, you know, he had won one. I think he won one in year number 11 or 12, but, I mean, you always wonder. And then there are other guys that have managed two or three years or less and in, won. In, in, in like like Bruce says, it's, it's a bit of a crapshoot. Uh, you know, you have to have some breaks. You have to have, uh, you know, some guys have some great series,
4: yeah. too. yeah. Two other ones um are you surprised that he has the batting gloves and the bat to do this interview no i'm not, I'm
3: not. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's dusty that's, i just
4: that's, did an interview with him he didn't have a gloves or a bat yeah, he comes no, out with him though that's his yeah. signature yeah, well no. i'm coming out i
2: mean it is well. i don't
4: feel right if i don't have
2: a, <laughs> yeah. a
3: bad no, it wouldn't look it. right either i right, yeah, thank you I get, get but I, I i gotta tell you i go back when you know i lived in melbourne florida so I got to watch Dusty with the Braves, so that's a, you know, a game we could get. So I have so much respect for this man. And, uh, and you know, you talk about things you miss, and uh, it's seeing Dusty in those gloves and having our battles. So we're in the same division. Oh, so look man. forward to it. Oh, but yeah. just seeing him, you know, he, yeah. it's, uh, you know. And I, I talked I to
2: him that. a couple times, too, you know, when he was out. And, uh, you know, I remember once uh, they called me. It was him and uh, they probably had a couple glasses of wine. <laughs> him and Sutcliffe and, uh, <laughs> and uh, um, uh, dang, uh, Huey Lewis, they they were all together and and,
4: and Sandy. No, no Chris Berman, he wasn't part of that group? No, no, no not Chris. Wasn't he wasn't there that day. Yeah, he wasn't there. Yeah. When you manage against each other, when you manage against him, what are you managing against characteristically when you're talking about him and the other dugout? What challenges does he present? Wow. Let me
2: hear this, let me hear this one.
3: Uh, no, no, no. Uh, you know that's always a hard question to answer. But you, you know, you got a, a team that's so prepared, and uh, and a team that uh, is going to. I mean, they're going to play hard, and you know, all the players. You, you won't find a player that's played for uh, Dusty that's that doesn't like them and doesn't play hard for them. And uh, you know, you get your hands full. And yesterday, we, you know, we had a, a bit of a wild game, but uh, we've had so many of those, Ooh. and uh, so that's that's what you know going into when you're managing. Yeah, Dusty. A,
2: and. And against Bruce, you know, you got to be on your game. And see, like I told people that, you know, when I manage against Bruce, Tony Larusa, you know, Bobby Cox, I mean, they might do anything at any time. Where where you're managing against some of the younger managers, you're kind of managing against the against the computer sometimes. You know, it's like okay, what the you know what would the computer do here? But uh, you know, I'm like, okay, what's Bruce thinking about over there? You know, that's that's probably the hardest part.
4: He says, I know this has become kind of a famous quote, but after he wins the World Series, who called, who reached out? Obama, Snoop Dogg. Do you remember after any of your three, who reached out to you?
3: Bruce reached out to me. He did? Did you call him? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I know. I I, I'm trying to think. Uh, most of my boys were from Melbourne, uh, high school buddies. <laughs> but uh, now I had a lot of friends. Trust me, uh, and and you're you're grateful, you know, yeah. when uh, you know you you hear from somebody because you know it, it only means something. If you can share it with other people, your family and friends. So that's True that's that. what makes it special.
4: So you did call him, though. You knew that that phone call, yeah, that text, that's yeah. important. Oh
3: yeah. Yeah, you know he, uh, you know Dusty and I have. Really, we're on the same team at one time. Uh, when when he uh, had a little break there, he worked with the Giants, so he'd come by, he hang on the cage, we would catch up and stuff. So, uh, you know, I, I was I was so happy for him, and uh, he's been doing this a long time. He's been close, and uh, so I, I, you know, I, the whole world was happy for him. I, I, I know the city of Houston was. You got two great teams. Your team is
4: rebuilding. You keep winning in World Series. I- have you ever thought about on your own terms when you want this to end? Yeah, I've thought about it. And
2: uh, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, it's going I don't have too much longer, that's for sure. But I'm gonna enjoy this while I have it. Uh, because like I said, I've, I've been out three different times when I worked with you yeah. at ESPN for two years at a time. And so you just take it each day at a time. It's a challenging each day. It's a beautiful Life is a beautiful game, Uh, we we got a great city here, so hey, it'll tell me when I'm supposed to come. And
4: I know you just got back in, so it's an odd question, but you're 68 today, 73, you can see doing this when you're 73? Seventy-five.
3: Oh, wow! You know, I, I haven't thought about it. Uh, you know, I I would say, you know, I, I, I doubtful, but you don't know. I mean, I thought I was good being done. I enjoyed my three years off. and Me too. Here I am doing it again. So uh, yeah, you But it. I, I I tell you what, one day if we're we're both retired, we we have a lot in common. You know, we we love to fish, we love mm-hmm. to hunt, we love our wine. So I'd love to. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. we do. And, it both. and we've had a couple of times duck hunting. We didn't quite get together, but I've, I've hunted. But
2: you know something, I I. Um, you know, cause I was asked, hey man, uh, you know, if this is your last year, would you want a farewell tour going all around everywhere? And I had talked to Bruce. I, I remember that. Yeah, I remember I, I talked to Bruce about don't it. Don't do it. That's what he told me. And he said, nah, man, don't do it. No more rocking.
4: you don't need rocking chairs. No, no. It's I mean, money you got.
2: I mean,
3: Rocket chairs. Oh God, I don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, both I say,
4: you both say you you love the time away, but yep. it seems like you both love being back here,
3: True.
2: In
4: these uniforms more.
2: Well, to me, I mean, it was hard to replace that 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 feeling of of of, of uh you know competing like this yeah. at this level on a daily basis, and you're not knowing what the outcome's
3: going to be. I mean, that's that's pretty exciting. You too. Yeah, you know, when when you come back, you know, it's not one thing. There, you just see so many things that you miss. Mine was just getting to spring training, uh, opening day, uh, you know, coming here, you know, talking with Dusty, uh, you know, having our battles, like I said, uh, you know, just walking that clubhouse, the camaraderie and stuff. And then, of course, the, the game itself. So there's so many things that you realize you miss that you don't, sometimes you don't think about when you're out of it. But... I, I'm, I'm grateful that here I am uh, doing this again.
4: And you came back to a game that's very different than when you left, and you like it, you're comfortable with it.
3: Yeah, yeah, I am, uh, you know, with uh, CY, Chris Young, I mean, what a job he's done, uh, you know, mm-hmm. building staff up, but, uh, you know, he pitched for me, so uh, we, we're we on the same page, uh, our thinking, I got Mike Maddox as the pitching coach, so we're getting all the information, but we're still doing what, what we love to do, and that's manage how, how we want.
4: We get to be our age. 15 seconds feels like five seconds. Doesn't feel like 45 seconds. It's all good. Quick, man.
3: It's all good, bro.
4: You guys are the best. Thank you guys both very much. All right, man. Good job. Thank you guys.
3: You got it. Two Hall of Famers, man. You don't get to do that very often. All right, man. I'll see you later. Thanks for that wine again. All
2: right, no problem. Uh, Hammer and Hank. Oh, you got the hammer. Okay.
0: This is the numbers game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing on this Tuesday?
6: I'm doing great. We have Tuesday day games because of some rainouts yesterday. So I'm excited for those two doubleheaders to get underway.
0: Yeah, it'll be. I was thinking about that this morning. Like moving forward, uh, having the balanced schedule also means a lot more pressure to get these games in. Uh, right away, you know, more doubleheaders during the year, which will make you happy, that's for sure, because it creates more day games. All right, before we get to this week's uh, numbers game, I, I just thought you would enjoy uh, hearing from Sarah Abbott telling stories about her Taylor Swift weekend. Sarah, uh, Sarah Abbott, uh, so have you recovered? Do you remember any of it?
7: I was trying so hard to soak in the moment. I remember it all clear as day. I will remember it for the rest of my life. I walked in that stadium a girl and I left a woman. There was so much life lessons learned throughout the way. It's just
0: glorious, glorious. So tell me about the song. I mean, was it true? 44 songs? Is that true?
7: 44 songs didn't stop one singular time. The only like semi break she had was when she jumped into the stage like dove into the inside part, and it made it look like she was swimming, and then that took her like three or four minutes to come back out. But that was the only like semblance of a break.
0: All so, right. and did you have a moment when she was looking around in the arena where you felt like you made eye contact with her, and it and that changed your life?
7: So we were pretty high up. So I don't, she did say she could see me though. Cause like I have a sparkling bracelet, you know, like everyone else. So <laughs> she did say she could see everybody there. So I like to think she saw me, but, um, on the Jumbotron, she mouthed, I love you to the crowd. And, um, that was enough for my soul to leave my body. And I came back a new person.
0: Sarah Light, I mean, uh, anything that you have to, uh, to ask about any, any, uh, insight into this?
6: This is amazing. I just love comparing this to baseball fandom. Like, there are people who go to baseball games and feel this way. And I love that we're getting on this podcast another iteration of fandom and how incredible it is. I'm so glad you had such a great time, Sarah. I was expecting nothing last but I'm so, so glad.
0: Yeah, so uh, my question is, and you guys can argue over this. Who had a potentially greater impact when Taylor Swift made contact Sarah with you, Sarah Abbott, with you through the Jumbotron or Sarah Langs when Julio Rodriguez went to the baseball writers dinner and looked you in your eyes with those blue eyes that he has?
7: I'm definitely going to say Sarah Langs because Taylor Swift didn't didn't actually make eye contact with me
0: or or (laughs) knows
7: that I exist.
6: Oh, my goodness. I mean. I, I don't know if that's fair. I met Julio. He knew who I was, which blew me away. Slightly different. But we'll get Sarah and Taylor Swift in the same room someday, somehow, some
0: Very nice. Sarah Abbott, am I right? Sarah Langs looks like she's blushing a little bit.
6: Oh, my goodness. She looks so happy. And,
0: you know, <laughs> baseball's the best. Exactly. All right, Sarah. Uh, Sarah Langs, let's play the numbers game.
1: Number three.
6: Number three is seventeen. So even though we talked about that raise win streak, ever I feel like every podcast to start the year, it is finally over. But. The Reds have another streak still intact, and that is a home run streak. So even with the loss yesterday, they've homered in each of their first 17 games this season. That is the second longest home run streak by any team to start this season, behind only the 2019 Mariners, who homered in 20 straight games to start there.
1: Number two.
6: Number two is 10. So on Sunday, Garrett Cole racked up 10 strikeouts yet again. Nothing special. We know he does that a lot. But listen to this. He now has 23 10-strikeout games with the Yankees only since he joined the Yankees. That is tied with Ron Guidry for the most 10 strikeout games in Yankees history. And by the way, there is a lot of time still left on that deal. So, I mean, he's going to double or triple up Guidry by the time this is uh, number one.
1: Number one
6: is eight. So, the Cubs hit a ton of home runs over the weekend. And then that continued on Monday night in Oakland. Patrick Woodson now has eight home runs tied for the MLB lead, and that's through the first 15 games of the season for the Cubs. That is tied for the third most home runs by any Cubs player in the first 15 games of a season, tied with Gabby Hartnett in 1925, and the only guys with more were Lee Walls in 1958 with nine, and Hank Sauer in 1954 also with them and they love this because a lot of teams when you do most home runs the answers are all lately or since 2000 or in the wild card era i love the cubs history is rich enough so we're at a very large number eight home runs or 15 games is really really good and all of the instances are before the expansion era. i think that's really cool
0: yeah, I must say, you know, going in, uh, as we went through spring training, I talked about the Cubs. I said they're going to have a lot of 2 1, 3 2, 1 0 type games. You get one week in which the wind's blowing out and Wrigley, and that completely changes it. So uh, you are well established as someone rooted in facts, in numbers. And I suspect that your superstition level is not high. But let me ask you this if you were a player, would you be paying attention to this? I did an interview with a player uh, before we had the uh, Padres game two weeks ago, and in Atlanta, and that was Nelson Cruz, who had a three-run homer and drove in six runs in the game. And then uh, this past weekend, we kind of had to talk, talk Marcus Simeon into uh, conducting the uh, interview to start the game. And part of the Eduardo Perez, part of Eduardo Perez's selling point to him was, hey, last week Nelson Cruz did this, and he drove in six runs and hit a three-run homer. Marcus Simeon, on Sunday night after he agreed to do the interview, hits a grand slam and also gets a hit. Uh, is this changing your perspective on superstition? If you were a player, would you want to talk with me this coming weekend? And that's important because I got a request in for Francisco Lindor.
6: I was going to ask who are you going to talk to from the Mets because it's always visiting team right before the game starts i mean i don't know about superstition but i believe in scientific evidence we have two pieces of evidence that a leads to b so i hope every visiting player on sunday night you know guys hitting in that top three in the order are reaching out to you Next week or the week (laughs) after, saying, "Hey, I want that three-plus run home run. Let's have a little chat." All
0: right. So, if Lindor hits a home, if Lindor does the interview and he hits a home run, I'm coming back to you next week to try to assess the statistical odds of that (laughs) happening. The three players that we interview all hitting home runs because that would be insane. Yes,
6: that would be amazing. I will uh, go back to the old top. Was it like? combinations and permutations for MathBoss to figure out exactly what those odds would be.
0: Very nice. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this.
6: Awesome. Thanks for having me, Buster.
1: Bleacher Tweets. Already, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for Tuesday. I want to close the loop on uh, Sarah's adventure to the Taylor Swift concert. I have to ask, um, if you're on social media, I feel like you see a lot of chatter of this. The secret songs. What are they? What songs did she play? Why are they secret? Um, are they and- still a secret? Yes. yes. I <laughs> Are they? I feel like yes. everyone knows.
7: Okay. Well, so how this works, basically, is she's got so many hits because she's the greatest of all time. So each show will get two secret songs and she doesn't repeat them unless she messes up. So it's a- it's an interesting thing. Our secret songs were my sister and I's favorite, Speak Now. So that was exciting for us. And then another song called Treacherous, which, you know, is about a breakup, which was fitting because it was the show after her breakup was announced. So it was, you know, it was a big show, big day.
0: Wow. Sarah, real quick. If you had an opportunity to go to dinner with Taylor Swift, just you and her, going to dinner, or he had an opportunity to go to dinner with Miles Teller. Oh. Okay. I'm going to make you choose. Which one would you choose?
7: Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> great question, Buster.
7: That's a great question. I would have to say, oh my gosh. Okay. I'm hesitating because I physically don't know if I could be in the same room as Taylor Swift. I think I would pass out, but <laughs> 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 I'm going to go Taylor Swift because I feel like I just have so many questions for her, just so many. So I think I'm going to pick Taylor Swift, but it's tough. It was really, really tough.
1: Wow. (laughs) Buster, with some hard-hitting journalism here on Bleacher Tweets? I love it. Well, you know,
0: I I ask a lot of questions, yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's go to the tweets. Eric Sorensen writes in, love the interview with Boach and Dusty on Sunday night. Are more seasoned managers, more fun to cover than a younger manager? Could only imagine how great the stories are with those two guys. Oh,
0: they're unbelievable. And the great thing about Dusty, and, and we were actually talking about this with Bruce Boche, who also has a lot of good stories, but Dusty seems to have known everyone twice over in the last 100 years. So he could you know, talk about Barack Obama. He could talk about uh, Jimi Hendrix. He could talk about Hank Aaron. He could. T- I mean, he's got so many stories. And, yeah, it's fun to sit down with uh, Dusty. They both have one thing in common. They really both like people, which is why they've been successful.
1: Nicholas Rust at Nick Rust 17 writes in, Last year you tisk, tisked my Luis Arise as a bona fide Tony Gwynn 2.0 suggestion. Care to revise your statement, sirs? Buster, what do you think about this?
0: All right, Nicholas, here's the thing. I am admittedly biased because I covered Tony. I always, uh, when I am asked about who's my favorite player they got to cover, it's always Tony because he was a gift for me as a young reporter and how much he loved baseball and how great he was at it, how much he loved to talk about it. I'm gonna give you Tony Gwynn's resume. Lifetime 338 hitter, eight batting titles, five gold gloves, seven times finished the top 10 in the NL MVP voting, 15 all star appearances, five seasons of 200 or more hits. He hit 289 his first year, Taylor, and he batted over 300 in every year for the next 19 seasons, okay? Luis Arise, a fine major leaguer, 26 years old, one batting title, one all-star appearance. He'll never <laughs> win a gold glove. I think even he would admit that. His career high in hit so far is 173. His career OPS, as of this morning, is 797. Tony Gwynn's career OPS was 847, 50 points higher. And, Nicholas, I understand your comparison is more stylistic It's not about, you know, the total resume. But I will say at this moment, Luis Arise, for me, has a long way to go before I consider him in the same sentence as Tony Gwynn. Taylor, you decide.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, Nicholas, if you go at the king, you best not miss because Buster just laid it out there for you. So obviously it's uh, Tony Gwynn. But um, Luis Arise, a joy to watch. Still, both things can be true.
0: Yes, Larissa Rice is a fine player, but that would be like comparing Taylor Swift. Uh, you know, Sarah uh, Sarah Abbott would back me up on this to someone who's not Taylor Swift. Yes, Sarah?
7: <laughs> exactly. There's no one who can compare. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're kidding. Nicholas, I, I I get your comparison with the guy at Rice is a terrific hitter. Pat
1: Johnston at the Melting Pat writes, and hey, Buster, a friend brought up this question during a Phillies big win on Sunday. And I thought you might have to answer, why do position players throw 60 miles per hour when they come into pitch?
0: Because they don't want to get hurt. You know, it does seem like Mm -hmm. from time to time, you know, we've seen position players go in and they try to air it out. It doesn't go well. Famously, it was Jose Canseco came into pitch and blew out his elbow. (laughs) 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 So you don't want that. But I'm sure that they are told, Look, just protect yourself. Just throw strikes.
1: P.K. Steinberg writes in, in Sunday's game, the Pirates' Brian Reynolds played left field, center field, left field, right field, left field. How many times has that been done?
0: So, P.K., I actually asked Sarah Langs about this, and and uh, she said that that's not information, you know, a guy changing position to position to position. That's something that's necessarily laid out by Elias. But we did look into it. Uh, it's been done before. We've seen managers actually put uh pitchers in the outfield and they'll move around because they'll try to position them where they where they don't think the ball is going to be hit um but there isn't actually a record according to what uh, what we heard from sarah
1: lewis addio rice Louis Adio Weiss writes in, how much longer do the upstart Diamondbacks stick with Madison Bumgarner? Among the 82 pitchers with at least 300 innings pitched since 2020, the commencement of his tenure there, Mad Bum ranks 79th with a negative 0.2 pitcher war. Oof.
0: Yeah, he needs a change of scenery, and I'll say right now, uh, I'm not ready to bet the family farm on this particular note, but I am willing to say uh, at some point, Madison Bumgarner will pitch for the Texas Rangers and his former manager, Bruce Bochy.
1: Last one for today. Uh, Mike Mosk at the Mosk3 writes in, Just say it. Sale is done. He's been a bust for Boston. Red Sox fans are done with him. Trade him. DFA him. Get him out of town and send him Bloom with them. Taylor, how's my rent? That's pretty good, Mike. And actually, I uh, I had my a training session for my dog yesterday and the dog yeah. trainer, big Red Sox fan. He also done with Chris Sale.
0: Mike, uh, I'm going to invite you back in about two months when you're going to say, okay, I overreacted. And, and mm. he's actually okay. If you look at Sale's underlying numbers, his velocity is basically the same. His pitch selection has uh, been changed, and it's been something that Red Sox have talked about internally. He, he had been throwing fewer fastballs, foreseen fastballs. In his next start, you will see him throw more foreseen fastballs. They don't think his pitch mix he has been great. And I also think sale is someone he really does care a lot. And I think he's put a lot of pressure on himself. I think he'll stabilize Do I think he'll be an all star when he comes uh, when he bounces back. No, but you will see an improvement in his performance. All
1: right, bold prediction buster hashtag bleacher tweets on Twitter while watching games tonight. Everyone we will be back on Wednesday with Tim Kirkshen.
0: Yeah, I think it is kind of a bold prediction. You're saying a guy with 11 ERA is going to get better, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe that's not so bold. (laughs) can't be worse. All right, that's it for today. My thanks to Sarah, Tim, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.